Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. Or, sorry guys, that's what I used to do, now I'm all caught up with that. So what I'll be doing today is reviewing episode 3 of Hulu's 11-22-63. Uh, I'm going to read some listener emails, uh, but also what I'm going to be talking about is, and I'm sure that some of you have wanted me to talk about this, Earlier this week, there was big, big Stephen King news that that went around the world. Big bombshells were dropped all around Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. So for those of you who have been either dreaming, waiting, anticipating, or dreading uh, the, the moment when The Dark Tower, the movie, started to become a possibility... This was a big week for you uh, because Entertainment Weekly dropped the bomb, um, had, a, had a lot of information around it, a lot of speculation was confirmed, and ladies and gentlemen, The Dark Tower, the cinematic adaptation, is occurring, and I'm going to be talking about it here on the Stephen King cast. But first, what I wanted to do, I just wanted to apologize for the delay this week. It's currently Sunday when I'm recording this, Sunday, March 6th. Um, and my, the, the episodes, how I've been releasing the episodes lately have been really slowed down because I've been trying to keep up with 11-22-63, the television show. Um, so I apologize for that. Uh, I did release a top 10 episode to kind of, um, you know, pass the time, so to speak, because I want to make sure that at the very least you're still getting at least one episode um, during during the course of the week. So I don't know exactly when I'm going to be able to finish uh, recording this episode. I think that I'm going to have to leave halfway through then get back to it later. So I, I don't know exactly when you're going to get to it. Hopefully you're going to be getting to, you know, at, at the hopefully you'll be able to get this uh, on the same day. If not, I hope that you receive this around Monday or Tuesday. But uh, but anyway, um, I, I do want to say uh, throughout the course of this episode and future episodes, spoilers on for basically everything having to do with Stephen King. So if you have not, if you are not a, I don't want to say major Stephen King fan, but from this point forward, please understand that I'm going to be spoiling the events of The Dark Tower and be spoiling the events of 11-22-63. So just please, and all Stephen King works. So please understand this is a spoiler-filled um podcast. So before I get any further, I want to shamelessly plug some of my own work. So guys, uh, over the last few episodes, you will know that I have admitted to the world that I have been fortunate enough to have some of my own short stories published in a number of, of publications out there. So if you have been interested um, and if you have enjoyed my thoughts on Stephen King and the, the, the art of writing and you want to check out my own writing to see how I do, there are some options for you. So currently there are three uh, publications out on the market right now with a fourth coming this August um, where you can, you can pick up uh, my works. The first was published in 
Dark Moon Digest, issue number 22. The short story is entitled Room 207. This was edited by Lori Michelle and Max Booth III. You can either download it on your Kindle or you can uh, have it sent to you uh, in the mail. Mine just arrived the other day. It's a really good-looking uh, publication. It will fit very nicely in your bookshelves. Um, so I, I, I personally, I would, I would recommend reading it that way just because I'm, I'm old school. I like actually holding a book, but if you are a Kindle person, then nine tales told in the dark issue number nine is for you. You can order that right now, just with a click of a button on Amazon, the short story there in nine tales told in the dark issue nine is this world will eat you all the way up. This was published by Bride of Chaos. Like I said, it's about, it's available through Amazon. Um, this past week, this past Tuesday, I believe, um, Wax and Wayne, A Gathering of Witch Tales, an anthology all around witches, was released. You can find this on Amazon. You can order it, have it sent to you. Um, the short story that you can find by me is entitled Hopscotch. Uh, this particular anthology was edited by David T. Neal from Nose Touch Press. I'm very excited about getting my copy of that. Um, and if you haven't seen The Witch right now, this is a really good time to talk about witches because David Edgar's The Witch just came out a couple weeks ago. I saw it. You can see that it's, for everyone that has seen it, you can tell that it's heavily inspired um, by The Shining. It, there is unrelenting dread and atmosphere in this movie. It has one of the ballsiest, I can't believe that they went there, openings that you will ever see in any movie. Um, and I was very, very happy with it. I walked away from it being a little disappointed because I expected it sort of to be something else, but what it was is incredibly well done, and you really have to give credit to David Edgers for the, the, um, for the screenplay, um, and the actors that, that bring that screenplay to life, because the, the, the dialogue being Jacobian English, um, it really makes you feel as though you are in the wilderness of, of New England, isolated, alone, exiled from your, your Puritan, uh, community. It's done very, very well, guys. So, witches are in right now, and if you want more witches in your life, then, then pick up Wax and Wayne, A Gathering of Witch Tales, um, to read my short story, Hopscotch. And like I said, coming this August, uh, the, the Trists of Fate magazine, uh, edited by Leanne Story. Um, uh, Forget Me Not is the story that you will find in there from me. And um, I would just really appreciate I know that all of the, the, the publishers here would appreciate just uh, some support because these are small, independent um, magazines that are trying to, to make a living. So any, any love that you could throw their way, a purchase they're all very inexpensive so very easily acquired so a, a very um a purchase would go a long way and a review on on amazon i think would would go a long way to to really help them out speaking of reviews guys i uh you know that i love um whenever i get any feedback on itunes for the stephen king cast so over the last couple episodes i have been trying to to get back into the habit of of reading uh, reading some some uh, some feedback off of iTunes, and I would greatly appreciate it if you wanted to contribute. So, up next we have Court Eleven, who writes best SK cast out there. This is my favorite podcast, and quite easily the best Stephen King one. He takes you through the plots of the books slowly and intertwines the themes and deeper symbolism King is truly writing about. He gets deep into the characters as well. Best of all, this podcaster puts a lot of time and effort, you can tell, into this. You know he's often truly caring about his word choice. 
Every episode feels like a story in a way. Engaging, I was blown away. Court, thank you so much. Um, uh, and then we have Johnny Gun 2, who writes, Very good. Very entertaining to listen to. The host has great details and breaks down the books slash movies really well. Then we have, um, so thank you, Johnny Gun 2. And up next we have Strauss Monkey. Um, who writes, truly an informative and entertaining look at the works of Stephen King. As a longtime constant reader myself, I have greatly enjoyed this podcast. It is well thought out, cleanly produced, and provides a refreshing take on books I know well or thought I did. Much to ponder and think about. If you like King's works, tune into this podcast. Great job. So Strauss Monkey, um, who has written into the, the the Stephen King cast on a number of occasions, uh, thank you for for that for that shout out on iTunes, guys. iTunes is a great way to get the the Stephen King cast out there. So any love that, that you can throw uh, the Stephen King cast's way on iTunes through a subscription and a review will will go a long way in just spreading the word of the Stephen King cast. And especially with eleven twenty two sixty three out there right now, there's a lot of buzz around Stephen King, and with this casting announcement. And all of the, the, the Dark Tower news that came this past weekend, I think that that might drive a lot of people to sort of like say, oh, I wonder what people are saying about, about Stephen King and, and head on to, to iTunes. So if they're, if they're able to type in Stephen King, I personally would like the Stephen King cast to be the first thing that they see. So um, if you love the podcast, do me a solid and uh, write a review because um, that, that will really, really help. Okay, guys, up next we have um, some listener email. Um, and up first we have, let's see, we have Parker Jones uh, who writes, I just want to start off by saying that I'm a huge fan of Stephen King, his son Joe Hill, and your podcast. I really enjoy your fair and balanced analysis of these two authors, and your podcast has been keeping me company at work for some, for some time. I love the format of the show and how consistent you are in producing new content even though you're up to date with the current publication. I especially enjoyed your review of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining as I love that movie and it tends to get a bad rap. Also, I tend to agree with you on just about everything which is nice for a lifelong King fan such as myself. I'm a writer and currently working on a nonfiction essay on King and how he has affected my life as a writer, but I just published a book of horror short stories called The Wrong Side of the Grass, which is available on Amazon. I would love if you check it out and let me know your thoughts. Number one fan, Parker Jones. Parker, um, thanks for, for all the kind words. And everyone, if you are on Amazon checking out my stuff, um, then also check out uh, Joan, um, Parker's uh, The Wrong Side of the Grass while you're at it. And then we have Brian, uh, who writes, Greetings, fellow constant reader. I just wanted to take a minute and tell you how much I appreciate the podcast. It really helps with getting through the workday. Like you, I too discovered King at a young age. I'll never forget the moment at my aunt's house when I came upon her paperback of Skeleton Crew. She let me borrow it, so I took it home and plowed through it. I remember I was blown away by Grandma. What can I say? I was hooked. Cujo was the first novel that I read, followed by It, The Shining, and Carrie. At this time, there are only a handful of books that I have not read. Also, I wanted to say that I was a little disappointed that you didn't discuss The Breathing Method. In a collection of four great novellas, I honestly think that Breathing Method is my favorite. I try to reread it every winter, and it remains one of my favorite stories of all time. Anyway, here are my top five best and worst King novels. The best, The Shining, It, Desperation, Misery, The Dead Zone. The worst, Cell, Bag of Bones, from a Buick 8, Christine, Rose Matter. Favorite novellas, Breathing Method, The Body, The Langoliers, Secret Window, Secret Garden, and 1922. 
Um, so Brian, thank you for for writing in. Um, yeah, I, guys, I really like it when I get um, you know top top lists, top five, top uh, ten. Um, as you know, this is something that I have been um, doing myself lately. So any any time you can do the same, that will be um, you know I'll, I'll I'll I think that we will uh, I'll do my best to to get them out there. Okay, guys, so if you have not written in yet and you want to write in and just share your Stephen King thoughts, feel free to, to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Okay, guys, so even before I get any further to talk about 112263, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about the Dark Tower. So I have, you know, I mean, I, I've heard from a lot of you since doing the, this podcast. Um, a lot of you have emailed me. Um, you know, we, we've chatted through social media, through Twitter, through Facebook. Um, so I know right now that there are, and through Instagram, there are a lot of varying opinions on whether or not The Dark Tower should be adapted into a movie. Um, and this is something I've talked about before, and this has been a long and strange road to getting The Dark Tower off of the ground. Um, the, the closest it had come was when... Uh, Ron Howard was going to direct it. He had a very ambitious um, plan to do uh, like three movies or four movies and a couple uh, television shows that would take place in in between the movies. Um, that fell through, but uh, Ron Howard and Brian Grazer are still producing it. Um, and and we have uh, a director, Nikolai Arcel. Um, who looks to be bringing it to the big screen. So over the last few months, there has been a lot of speculation. There's been rumors that Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey were going to play Roland the Gunslinger and the Man in Black, respectively, but there was nothing set in stone. There was no confirmation, and the fact that Matthew McConaughey had been tapped to play Randall Flagg in The Stand, um, only for that to fall through. I mean, the, the fact that there was no true confirmation over uh, McConaughey playing the man, the man in Black same character, different book, um, you know, was was pause for, for concern. However, all of that changed this past week when Entertainment Weekly broke the news um, and gave a huge, huge amount of information all around the Dark Tower. It is happening, guys. It is happening. So for some of you right now, you are through the roof excited that this is coming to life. Some of you out there are terrified that this movie is going to quote-unquote ruin either your childhood or your Dark Tower. And some of you are just curious. Um, I personally, how I feel about it, I am, I don't want to say indifferent, I don't think it's going to ruin my book experience. Should the Dark Tower probably be left alone as a book? Yeah, it probably should, but it's not going to happen. Um, it's not going to be left alone. It's being made into a movie. So it's not going to affect my reading experience. I've had my reading experience. I have my memories, and I have my thoughts, and I have my loves. So when I watch it on the big screen, that's not going to change my relationship with the books or how I envision characters. Um, so before I get any further, let me do this. Let me read the Entertainment Weekly article, and then I can sort of talk about some of the bullet points here. Um, and the, the, I'm, I'm very, very happy with the Entertainment Weekly article. It's, it's very, very well done, and it really makes it seem like a big deal. So, Dark Tower. The tower has begun to peak above the horizon. 
After many years and many attempts, a film version of Stephen King's The Dark Tower is finally getting underway with Idris Elba confirmed as the gunslinger and Matthew McConaughey as the mystical foe known as the Man in Black. Both the author and the movie's director and co-writer, Nikolai Arcel, spoke exclusively with EW about the plan to begin adapting the six-shooter and sorcery tale. It's a great way of putting it, by the way. Which spans eight novels, assorted comic books, and short stories, and is frequently referenced throughout King's body of work. The thing is, it's been a long trip from the books to the film, King says, putting it right in context. When you think about it, I started these stories as a senior in college, sitting in a little cabin in the river, beside the river in Maine, and finally this thing is actually in pre-production now. He laughs. I'm delighted, and I'm a little bit surprised. Arcel, who is best known for the 2012 Danish film A Royal Affair and for co-writing the Swedish version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, says he will start shooting The Dark Tower in South Africa, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, in seven weeks, and Sony Pictures plans to have it in theaters on January 13, 2017. Arcel will share screenwriting credit with, Tom, with Anders Thomas Jensen, Akiva Goldsman, and Jeff Pinkner. The producers will be Goldman and his Weed Road Company, Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Erica Huggins of Imagine Entertainment, um, and Pickner as executive producer. Um, and what Stephen King... Sorry, sorry, guys. Uh, what Stephen King does best is mixing the everyday... Mixing in the everyday or what you might call the um, mundane with the fantastical, says Arcel. Sorry, I'm just – sorry, guys. I'm just making a note. Um, says Arcel. In my view, the Dark Tower novels are a mix between sci-fi and fantasy and modern times. That exact mix is so Stephen King. King says the movie will open with his first line from the book. It should start that way. He says, I've been pretty insistent about that. He even tweeted it out today which was awesome, uh, the, the tweets that were being exchanged um, when, when this, when, when this uh, announcement came out. Uh, the tweets from, from Stephen King, uh, the tweets from uh, Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba, so much fun. So for guys, if, if you don't know what happened, Stephen King tweeted out, uh, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Um, and then he, uh, he tweeted it at... Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey, which is so awesome. It's so clever. Um, and then, similarly, uh, Idris Elba um, tweeted out to Matthew McConaughey. He wrote, uh, at McConaughey, you have one new follower. Hashtag Dark Tower movie. I mean, that's clever. I mean, so that's playing clearly on two two different levels. You have a new follower on Twitter, but... You have a new follower. I'm after you. And then Matthew McConaughey tweeted back, come and get me. I look forward to it. Hashtag Dark Tower movie. So it's playful back and forth. It's a great way to um, to engage with the fans and, and help sell the movie. I don't think that's Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey sitting there being clever with one another. I think it's the publicist. I think it's their publicist telling them what to do. But, um, but regardless, it made for a very, very fun, um, fan-friendly moment. Um, okay, so it's easy to imagine that phrase being the Dark Tower's version of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, serving to introduce almost any part of the saga. 
But this first film will not adapt the first plot of the book, The Gunslinger, published in 1982. And here's where a lot of staunch fans are going to get upset. The movie starts in media race, in the middle of the story instead of at the beginning, which may upset some of the fans a little bit, but they'll get behind it because it is the story, King says. Arcel declined to specify which books his movies focus on, but did offer this clue. A lot of it takes place in our day, in the modern world. So I will talk more about this later. The Path of the Beam. For those of... For those who haven't turned the pages of the Dark Tower books, they tell the story of the fallen land of Midworld through the eyes of Roland Deschain, a sort of frontiersman knight whose primary weapon is not a sword but a pair of revolvers. He's on a quest to save his decaying world by reaching the tower that stands at the nexus point in time and space. The Man in Black, a devil who goes by many names but mostly Walter Paddock or Walter Odim, that is not correct, um, by the way. He does not mostly go by Walter Paddock. Um... He is eventually revealed to be Walter Paddock. I would say that mostly he goes by Martin Broadcloak or Randall Flagg or Walter Odom, but that's just me, is an ageless deceiver and sorcerer who also seeks to reach the tower and rule over its seemingly infinite kingdoms. Um, to complete his journey, Roland must call on help from our world, drawing a junkie named Eddie, an amputee named Susanna, and a young boy named Jake into his realm to be a part of his katet, the term for a group brought together by destiny. Their yellow brick road is one of the six invisible beams that holds Roland's world together and lead directly to the tower itself. Though Arcel and King aren't ready to reveal which books the movies may cover, we can use their clues to do a little soothsaying. Since the fourth novel in the eight-book series, and I would say it's actually seven with a supplemental book, 1997's Wizard in Glass is almost entirely a flashback about Roland's youth and lost love, it's a good guess that the movie may start with 1993's The Wastelands, the third book in the series, which is where much of King's broader tower mythology began to coalesce. Its story involves the Cotet's efforts to connect with Jake, who lives in a far-off where, New York City, and a different when. 1977 in the novel, though that could easily be changed to now, but that's just speculation. And I'm going to insert myself. I guarantee you that Jake will be plucked out of 2016. Um, and I know that a lot of people will get upset about that, but I mean, think about it this way. In the books, when Stephen King wrote The Gunslinger, Jake was being plucked from the modern time for Stephen King. So it became 1977 from that point forward, but it was supposed to be the modern time. So just think of it that way, guys. Go in with an open mind. Uh, for additional casting, Mad Max Fury Road actress Abby Lee is reportedly in talks for the role of Tarana. Uh, but it's not clear yet who will play the other main characters. More announcements are expected in the weeks ahead. For now, Arcel is starting by introducing his hero and villain. Although it may be a surprise to some who are used to picturing Roland as a blue-eyed white man depicted in the book's illustrations, it says it was a no-brainer to cast Elba as the gunslinger. King agrees, and so do I. The gunslinger, for me, it just clicked. He's such a formidable man, says Arcel, who says he's been a fan of Elba's since The Wire. I had to go to Idris and tell him my vision for the entire journey with Roland and the Cotet. We discussed who is this character, what is he about, what's his quest, what's his psychology. We tried to figure out if we saw the same guy, and we absolutely had all the same ideas and thoughts. He had a unique vision for who Roland would be. King is a fan of the choice, and says he's looking forward to seeing Elbra bring Roland to life. 
I love it. I think he's a terrific actor, one of the best working in the business now, the author says. But he admits he had a different actor in mind when he started writing the books 46 years ago, almost three years before Elba was even born. The Dark Tower Rises. I visualized Clint Eastwood as Roland, King says. I loved the spaghetti westerns and all those widescreen close-ups of his face, especially the ones where he'd been left out in the desert and was all covered with blisters and sunburned. I thought, that's my Roland. Old Clint was more of an inspiration point, however. As the years went by, the character became of a more particular individual in my own mind, King said. He wasn't Eastwood anymore. He was just Roland. The author, who raves about Elba's recent work in the child soldier drama Beasts of No Nation, says he hopes fans of the books have no problem accepting a man of color as Roland. For me, the character is still a character. It's almost a Sergio Leone character, like the man with no name, says King says. He can be black or white. It makes no difference to me. I think it opens all kind of exciting possibilities for the backstory. Arcel acknowledges that skin color usually was, actually was an important factor in the relationship between Roland and Susanna, the black amputee he drew into his world from her life in 1964. In the books, she is not thrilled to find herself yanked into another dimension by a grizzled white guy. Some fans are asking, understandably, what about the racial tension, Arcel says. But as the story progresses, that will be made clear how we'll deal with those things. Man in Black. This is an especially trickly character in more ways than one. In The Gunslinger, he was like the shark in Jaws, mostly unseen, although his menace permeated the story. He's a big part of Roland's past and weaves into the story as the novels continue. The movie will draw him further out of the shadows. Even King says he never had a clear image of the man in black's face, maybe because it kept changing. I never really thought of him, the author says. But in the movie, he becomes a character who isn't just a mirage that Roland is chasing. The way things are set up, he's right there. That shape-shifting quality is what drew Arcel to the Dallas Buyer Club Oscar winner. Matthew is an incredible actor who can do anything. That's how I feel about Walter Paddock. He could do anything, the director says. Those who know King's other works will recognize the man in black as the same villain from both The Stand and the fantasy The Eyes of the Dragon. He is this timeless sorcerer, and being a Stephen King fan, I've read and experienced Walter in various iterations, Arcel says. He has a very interesting way of seeing the world. He sees it with a sort of delight, even though he is obviously on the wrong side of the light and dark spectrum. He is someone I've been having a lot of fun with. Other Worlds Than These Fans who may be rejoicing that the story is finally headed to the screen have had their hosannas stifled before, but this time, the movie is definitely happening. For decades, The Dark Tower has defied adaptation, first by being incomplete, as King's novels were spread out over decades, and then simply being such a vast, genre-bending story. In 2010, director Ron Howard began trying to assemble a multi-platform approach to filming it, with Javier Bardem in the lead role of Roland. Howard's innovative plan was to have a trio of movies that would follow the gunslinger's quest to reach the tower, which would be accompanied by a cable TV series that could serve as a kind of prequel, filling in the backstory. There were a lot of people who had trouble with that concept at first, King says. It's tough to get show people to actually try something new, which is one of the reasons why they're so bent out of shape about Netflix and Beast of No Nation. But little by little, people started to get on board with the idea. Akiva Goldsman, who won the Adapted Screenplay Oscar for Writing a Beautiful Mind, began work on the scripts, and he and Howard even visited King to help break down which parts of the story could tell on screen. 
Ron has been a huge supporter of this project from the very beginning. I think the reason was his wife was crazy about the books, King says. He came up to Maine, and we talked about it for a long time in the backyard. We were actually playing catch. We had baseball gloves, and we were saying, we could do this with it. We could do that with it. That was the first time anybody suggested to King that maybe there could be a collection of movies and also a TV series telling the same story from different directions. Universal Pictures was set to launch this ambitious project. The Warner Brothers explored the possibility, but cold feet and money got in the way, King says. The project came back to life thanks to Tom Rothman, chairman of Sony's Motion Picture Group, who saw the possibility for a new fantasy franchise. Goldsman's script became the foundation for the new film, and King says a successful movie could revive Howard's broader plan. It's one of the reasons for saving the earlier part of the narrative depicting Roland's younger days. They're still holding on to this idea that they can do a TV series, and they've got it pegged for that, King says. And that, I'm inter- I'm serving myself right now. Okay, so let's be excited about some of this news. But a statement like that, that's worrisome. It's worrisome that they're going to go forward telling a story, and they don't know exactly how they're about to tell that story. If they end up moving forward in the timeline, there's another challenge the filmmakers will one day have to face. A younger version of King himself <clears throat> turns up as a character in the Dark Tower saga. Although this is not a part of the first film, Arcel says he would want the author to eventually play himself. But King says, no way. I'm too old. <sighs> For now, The Dark Tower is one movie with only the possibility of more. Other people have tried the fantasy spectacle. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it works really well when based on a series of books like The Hunger Games or Harry Potter. And sometimes it doesn't, King says. <laughs> what I have to go back to is this. We have Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey two great actors. We've got a great production team and Akiva Goldsman as the primary script writer. The team is in place, so we'll hope for the best. That's called putting your faith in the Cotet. So guys, uh, just a couple things to think about this. Um, one, I maybe, uh, just a couple things to think about this. Uh, first of all, Anyone that is expecting a direct adaptation of The Gunslinger, guys, it's not happening. Um, And I would just say, just don't expect this to be your Dark Tower. um, Because it's not going to be your Dark Tower. And what what I mean by that is what I talked about a little bit earlier is we had the book experience. um, And the way that the, the story was plotted out. In the the novels, it was its own thing. And I believe that this movie is going to be its own thing. Um, I think that there, I would expect, if I was a betting man, I would bet that there are going to be a number of drastic differences um, that a lot of people actually might find um, maybe offensive, maybe controversial. I mean, just the fact that what Stephen King says is that starting in the middle of the story, I don't necessarily think, um, if I were to predict, I don't think that it's going to be as simple as that. Um, you know, I've read a lot of people online thinking that's going to take place kind of during the events of the wastelands or maybe drawing of the three, but I, I don't think that it's as simple as as looking at it and saying, oh, it's it's going to take place in the middle of the story. It's going to, we're going to pick up in, in, in the wastelands. I, I don't think that it's like that. I think that what it's going to do, I think they're going to just throw everything that we know about the Dark Tower into a blender and hit spin. And we're going to get sort of like a, a Dark Tower milkshake. 
Uh, that's what I would expect. Because um, look at it this way, guys. Um, first of all, I'm I'm glad that we're not getting the gunslinger, uh, and, and maybe that's 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 edgy or racy for for me to say, but. The gunslinger to, to start a series off on on the gunslinger. I mean, most people would would agree that the gunslinger is not the strongest book in the series. I mean, it was like Stephen King says he he wrote it when he was a senior in college. He had not quite found his footing as an author. The novel itself feels very very literary, very pedantic at times. It's it's very flowery. Um, and then the, the the bulk of the the gunslinger, the book. The, the story that takes place in the present is not very it's not very engrossing i mean think about what what we need out of a movie it's an audiovisual medium we need we need to be kept on the edge of our seats we need to be enthralled um and based on what we're seeing and what we're hearing and in the present moment in the gunslinger it in in it details roland walking in the, he, he walks to Brown's place. He tells a story. He walks to the way station. He meets Jake. Jake tells a story. They walk basically to the mountains. Jake falls. And then Roland talks to the man in black. I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to be facetious here, but basically the, the, the present linear story of the gunslinger really is just walking and talking. And we can't have that. And, you know, I mean... We had Tall. There's the story of Tall. There's the flashback to Gilead. But those really are flashbacks. Um, there's just it's, – it's not very dynamic. It's not what you are going to need in order to build a franchise. You need to do something different. So I completely understand and agree with not adapting the gunslinger as the gunslinger. Sure, take elements from it. Um, but as it stands, I, I don't think that that would be a wise choice to film the gunslinger as is. We need something a little bit more flashy, something a little bit more uh, dramatic and dynamic. And I just don't think that that the gunslinger would be the way to go. Um, now, here's the deal. I mean, uh, I would also believe I would. Uh, I'm led to believe this is going to be a completely different departure from the books based on the fact that, like like I just said, they're not adapting The Gunslinger. Two, just look at the casting, all right? They, they, they've casted a um, an actress, Abby Lee, to play the role of Teriana, Terina, um, who most Stephen King fans, most Dark Tower fans don't know. I mean, most of us had had to look up who is this character, and it turns out that she is just what? She's a cantoy. That's a bit part in book seven, uh, The Dark Tower. One, Just one of the characters in the Dixie Pig? Is that who she is? So if that's the case, if they are casting that, I'm telling you, don't expect it to just flash to the Dixie Pig and kind of play out the events. I believe that we are going to get a repurposed dark tower story where certain elements of the novels um some aspects really get truncated and other aspects get uh um stretched out with more weight and so what i would bet i would i would expect that roland's number one focus isn't necessarily going to the dark tower it really is getting to the man in black now here's the deal one reason I'm glad that they're not doing it by by the books is because in the books, 
for a, a, a series that involves a talking bear, a, a, a talking raccoon, um, <laughs> talking lobsters, um, magic doors, talking trains, there's a lot of talking things, um, wastelands, the yellow brick road pretty much, um, for all of these aspects that, that, that ask you to suspend your disbelief, there, there's one huge, critical, foundational aspect that really strains that that the suspension of disbelief and and that's the that's the premise that kicks off the series itself the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed at no point do we ever get a valid explanation as to why the man in black will lead roland to the tower Think about that. We are never given a reason how he set off to find the man in black. He finds the man in black and he continues his journey along the beach. And that's it. I mean, yes, you could you could make the argument that that Walter puts the, the magic doors there. But I would say if you take the man in black out of the gunslinger and you just have Roland walking across the desert and then through the mountains, the narrative doesn't change. So the fact that they are tinkering here. It, it's tinkering that needs to happen because yes, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed is an iconic line. And the imagery is um, of Stephen King's most iconic examples of imagery. However, the relationship between the man in black and the dark tower and how the man in black is going to lead and roll into the dark tower is never explained. It's, I don't see how, uh, Point A leads to point B. So I believe here, and then actually finding a, a, a metaphysical tower in a field of roses, that, that's such an abstract and strange concept. I, I believe that through the casting of Matthew McConaughey, and that's another thing, I think that that points us in the direction of things are going to be much, much different, um, that he's not just going to be the object of Roland's quest, but... Like Stephen King says, he's going to have a pretty beefed up role because he has to. That's something that viewers are going to be able to latch onto. Gunslinger needs to find the man in black for some reason. There are rumors out there that in the original script under Ron Howard's reign uh, that Jake was brought into Midworld to get Roland to believe in the Dark Tower again because Roland was seeking the man in black um, for vengeance sake. So I can I can see that I personally don't like that because I do believe that Roland still needs to be obsessed with the tower more than anything else. But I need the Man in Black to have more of a substantial role, and you don't cast Matthew McConaughey to play a character that's insubstantial. Because here's the thing, we like Randall Flag, we like the Man in Black, we like Walter. Like the thing is though, is that this is a character that believed in his own hype. In the pages of the Dark Tower, the entire series. He's a completely ineffectual character. That's the punchline. That's the big reveal in the final book when he gets taken out by Mordred like a chump. He believes he's a star player in this, but he's not a star player. He's not even a bit player. He's nothing. He's a footnote. He is a legendary feast for the spider child, and that's the biggest contribution that he's ever had. So the fact that this blustering, blowhard villain gets taken out so easily, it, it recontextualizes everything that took place with him in the pages of the Dark Tower. So, yes, you don't cast Matthew McConaughey 
to be a joke. You cast Matthew McConaughey to be that original image that we thought that that we had when we were reading The Man in Black, that he was dangerous, that he was a threat, that he was a credible adversary. It turns out in the pages that none of this is true. But I believe in this movie, all of that will be true. Um, and if that's the case, then he is, by the very nature of that being true, going to be essential to finding the Dark Tower. So he will be important to be found. I would, I think that with, with Tyriana or whatever her name is, I wouldn't be surprised if the man in black is sort of, um, a combination of what we have understood him to be from the books combined with the Crimson King. And um, if if the Cantoy are in it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Roland is trying to get to the Man in Black and the Man in Black is sending legions of the Cantoy to stop Roland. And simply by doing so, you make it more action-packed. You expand the mythology that has been put in place while keeping it familiar enough. We understand that um, the Man in Black and or the Crimson King have utilized the the Cantoy and the Lomen and the Tahin to uh, to their own ends. So that is in line with the, the books. However, it's still different enough and cinematic enough and something that uh, viewers can get behind. They understand that. So, you know, I mean, basically, I, I believe that the Cantoy will function as orcs. Um, I think that in some ways McConaughey as the, the Man in Black will be a sort of Sauron figure um, that is actually present and charismatic, and he'll have orcs and goblins working for him, and that will be um, the low men. So again, I don't have any inside scoop, but that would be my prediction based on the fact that we have a low man being cast, Tyriana, um, and and McConaughey. Guys, like, like Roland said, or like King said, he didn't really have an idea for the man in black he was a faceless shapeshifter he doesn't do anything the biggest thing that 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 randall flag or walter or martin does is is he sets he's the one that actually sets Roland on the quest of the dark tower in the first place um because he he's the one that that sends him to court by by screwing his mom and and setting him up um, if he never did that, would the events ever have transpired? So in some ways, if you want to look at it, he is directly responsible for Roland actually reaching the tower and bringing down the Crimson King. But that's the biggest thing that he ever did. In the first act against Roland, he failed. He failed. And then what does he do? He, he talks to him. Um, he gets him at the Golgotha and he shows him a vision. Then in book three, he shows up... Um, in, in Lud and it talks to, you know, he's talking to the TikTok man. He says, Roland cannot reach the Dark Tower. It's like, well, okay, if you feel that way, then why don't you do something? Why don't you do something about when you when you had a chance? Then then he's in uh, the, the Emerald City and he's like, Roland, you must not get to the tower. And again, he doesn't do anything and he Roland shoots at him and he disappears. And then then we next see him um, and then he's he's in a flashback with, with Father Callahan and he's like, Roland must not reach the tower. And it's like, well, you've had all these opportunities, but you haven't done anything about it. All right, so that's not going to be Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, I think that you're casting him, and I think that we're going to be getting very much the the Randall Flag type of character that um, that that the character uh, was in the pages of the Stand. Much more hands-on, much more dangerous. I hope that he's still a blowhard, and I hope that he's still um, 
has you know faults and flaws, but I would imagine that that he's going to be um, kind of the the idealistic version of this character, the character that the character himself wanted to be. That's what I would imagine. Um, so, guys, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think that any of us know what to expect. Um, there are some some causes for concern here. Um, Devin Faraci at birthmoviesdeath.com uh, had read the original script, and it he's a pretty big Stephen King fan, and he was very concerned at that original script. The script is being changed, but the this premise is being built off of that original script at the same time. So I haven't read the script. Uh, I don't know much about it, but, um, but I don't know. I, I don't know if that is still a foundational piece of this narrative. Then I think that it's cause for concern. Another cause for concern is something that a lot of people are celebrating that. And that's, that's coming out in 2017 guys. That's not a lot of time. Um, that seems pretty pretty quick to film a semi big budget movie, um, market it and 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 get it ready. Um, I mean, think about any like think about Star Wars. I, I mean, that was filmed and that was hyped. The hype for Star Wars and the pu- and the um, publicity for Star Wars will ha- took longer. Was started further out from its release date then the entire time this dark tower movie has to film and be released in the theaters that worries me if anything goes wrong that's not a good place to be in um so the director his back is against the wall he has to get this right um i i just i get very very concerned when the the the, the window of release of the release date is is so so soon um and and filming won't even start until like what seven weeks and then we're we're pretty we're pretty uh we're pretty well in our way in in 2016 which means that we would only have a year to to get everything ready and then and get it out um that's not great that's not great guys um another reason why i think um the movie's gonna be different is that it's filming in south africa um my question would be, why is it filming in South Africa? What about these books screams South Africa? Um, I mean, I don't know for sure, but that would that would point me in the direction that something is going to be different here. Um, my, my prediction here would be that Roland is going after the man in black and he has to draw his ka-tet. Um, and I think it'll be um, some sort of amalgam of the, the drawing of the three, the wastelands. And I think that the third person he'll draw probably will be Jake. I think that this will mean that Jake has not died um, in the pages in, in the story thus far. I think that the first time we'll draw, he'll draw Jake is probably the, um, uh, the, the time that he, he pulled him into the wastelands. But I don't know if Jake is a character that ever will have died. I imagine that Jake will take place, um, will be pulled from modern time, 2015, 2016. Um, and, and who knows what they're going to do with Susanna. Um, personally, I don't think that's a big deal about the race. Um, I mean, the, I mean, yeah, I mean, in the books, the tension is a result of, of her, what, what she sees as racism, but that's not the, that's not the point there. The point is, is that Roland draws a highly dangerous, unpredictable, an insane person. That's what needs to get conveyed. And you can convey that however you want. Um, just as long as she's crazy and unpredictable, 
that's that's the important thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the racial aspect is a is an interesting detail, but it's just that. It's just a detail. Just like Roland's skin color is just a detail. His eyes, his blue eyes, it's just a detail. These things are not essential to the story of Roland. Um, Roland's obsession is essential to the the, the story. Uh, Roland's bloodlust is essential to the story. The fact that he will sacrifice and has sacrificed his, his most cherished and loved people in his life that's essential and it has nothing to do with skin color so the 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 qualities that idris elba have um he has more than enough qualities to make roland and i'm really looking forward to seeing what what he takes or what he has in order to become roland so um at the end of the day we don't know we don't really know anything um personally i'm excited about the casting so far i'm excited that they're going to make changes. So there will be a lot of information coming in the next couple weeks. Um, and make sure that you tune into the Stephen King cast to, uh, to stay up to date. Okay, guys, we're about uh, almost 15 minutes at this point, And I want to make sure that I still have time to talk about 1122.63, episode 3. Um, so when this comes out, uh, episode three was last week. Um, I'm recording. I'm, so like I said, I, 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 I had to step away from my recording. I'm, I'm back again. It's now Monday. Episode four should be out. <clears throat> so I apologize, guys. I, I hope to, like I said, very early on in this whole 1122-63 uh, uh, review endeavor, I wanted to stay on top of this. Um, but life has been pretty busy lately. So anyway... Uh, let's just, let's just start here. So episode three picks up right where we left off with a major deviation from the book. And that is Bill Turcott. So in the book, Bill Turcott is a, is a pretty minor character whose, whose existence only takes place within the confines of Derry. Once he's, once Jake leaves Derry, uh, there's no more room for, for, for Ben, Tur Bill Turcott. However, the producers have expanded his role to give Jake a sounding board, uh, someone to play off of so that we're not stuck in his head uh, the, the entire time. And for me, a decision like that, I like decisions like that. And again, this is where some people might differ for me, but this is something that the showrunners felt that they needed to do because they're working in a different medium than a book and I I appreciate that that level of of care uh, in in adapting one a story from one medium to the next. Regardless, Jake is held at gunpoint here by Bill Turcott. <clears throat> and what I like about this is that it allows for that classic time traveling beat. You know, the the one where the time traveler from the future is looked upon by the person in the present, our past. So, you know, I mean, it's your, your Sarah Connor viewing Kyle Reese, right? Um, and with this, we get the perspective through both the man of the past and of the time traveler, which is nice. And last week, I, I, as, I, as I said, uh, James Franco continues to grow into the role of Jake, and he does so again more so here. Um, the, just the way he, he plays a weary exasperation at the end of Bill Turcott's gun, it's, it's very well played. He, he's patient with the man. 
Um, and the powers that be, the, the showrunners, they, they know to keep the human connection right at the forefront. So, I mean, just like how last week's episode placed Harry's plight front and center, it does the same here with Turcott, who wants Jake to go back into the past and stop Dunning from killing his sister. Now again, with the fate of the world in the balance with the upcoming assassination of JFK, it's important to personalize the stakes with these little moments. It makes it honest. The two grow into accomplices as Turcotte is given a history lesson with Franco as his guide. He walks Turcotte through Dallas, um, the specific route that will drive by the book depository. And like I said earlier, with Turcotte as his sounding board, Jake is able to explain his thoughts and concerns that we have been able to experience through the internal monologues of the book. So again, I understand that Turcotte's beefed up role is going to alienate some viewers, but you know, like I've already said, I get it. I get why the showrunners decided to do this. I, I think that their only choice was to give him a sounding board, honestly. I mean, think of it this way. It is an audiovisual medium. And unless you want Franco just talking directly to the viewer, there needs to be a natural conversation between he and another character. So why Bill Turcott? I mean, why not Sadie or any of the Jody characters? I would say it's Bill Turcott because it allows the rest of the characters to continue to remain unaffected by this plot point. By beefing up Turcotte, who has no bearing really on, on the events of the book that we all know, I mean, really this allows for the best of the both worlds. And speaking of Jody, guys, that's where they head to next. And as a big fan of Jody from the books, I'm excited to see this town brought to life. And life at Jody begins to come alive right away with Jake interacting with Mimi and Deke. And we get a sense of a fully lived-in world here. Then when partying in Dallas, Jake meets Jack Ruby. It's a great, you know, WTF moment, blurring the line between coincidence and fate. And in this moment, uh, Turcotte becomes the wild card here. He's drunk, he's foolish, he's spouting about changing the future and um, uh, and Jake being a great man from the future. So it's, it, it's a great moment that anyone that's read the book, we should feel uncomfortable because we don't know what's going to happen. So meanwhile in Jody, Jake gets a slap of racist reality, and it's it's really good that the showrunners are putting this front and center. It's it's important to not just gloss over the realities of of the 1960s and the past. Um, I, I think that putting race up front is an important way to acknowledge issues that we are still having today. Um, so what happens is he he shuts down the entire front office. It's a, it's, it's, it's a really well-done moment when he offers to pour Miss Mimi a cup of coffee. It's a moment that goes a long way in showing just the everyday racism that permeated the 1960s. And later on, we see more racism as Jake uh, pushes back against a racist gas station attendant and stands up for Mimi. So it's it on one hand, it, it, it shows the world that he's living in now. It shows his burgeoning relationship with Mimi. It's a way to for, for James Franco to demonstrate Jake's character. So these are very um, purposeful choices that go a long way in telling the story and uh, broadening, or not broadening, but strengthening the, the characteristics. Okay, guys, and here we go. Jake Epping, or Jake Amberson, the teacher. He makes his way through the Jody High School hallway. It's slow-mo. It captures that aw shucks, beautiful world of potential. Then boom, smash cut two years later. He is now a major part of the school, 
no longer an outsider, a huge part, integral part of this school. He's a part of this world. And ladies and gentlemen, here we go. In the high school gymnasium, as the school sets up for a dance where magic happens, Jake meets Sadie. Again, for the first time. They're all wide eyes and soul gazing. Now, I hate, I just hate the term smitten. Just for whatever reason, some people, you know, like some people have aversion to certain words. Um, smitten is one that I hate, uh, but it's it's the only one that you really can use to describe Jake in that moment. And, you know, it's your meet cute and, you know, but it works. It works between the two of them. The actors are selling the hell out of it. I don't know if there was chemistry between them, but they're able to convey a just um, a whimsical attraction between the two of them. But don't forget, Jake has a mission, and we get to see him in action. We see him tracking Oswald's movements, working with Turcotte, who is slumming in Dallas for him. Also a very nice move. I like that. They get ready to bug Oswald's phone. Then we head back to the dance. We get the first mention of Jimla, uh, which was a big uh, big catchphrase from the, the book. Um, and this happens when Jake and Sadie bust the gang for, for spiking the punch at the dance, and... You know, the two chaperones then sneak off to get to know each other a little bit more, and they start drinking from the spiked punch, and so their relationship starts to grow. And they have a their own little catchphrase, their own little booyah moon, uh, um, and, and, and their own little bool, right? Uh, and that is um, from here to eternity, which is something that was not in the books. But I really, really like the fact that they are that they're using from here to eternity because it just speaks to their love right that it is from here to eternity and it, i just i i think that it's a nice button uh for for them to have and the fate coincidence quandary um it pops up again when it's revealed that sadie had been in lisbon maine and had just missed jake um this, again, is concocted specifically for this television adaptation, and I like it. I like what they're doing um, because I think that King fans would recognize this as the work of Ka, right, wouldn't you say? Then on the dance floor, they further their relationship and begin to dance. Now, the song isn't Glenn Miller's In the Mood, but hey, whatever. I mean, as we know from the book, this is a big moment. It forms the basis of their relationship. It makes them the cool and beloved couple in the eyes of the town. Now, this doesn't capture the magic from the book, but the actors managed to sell it. Going back to the song, I was kind of hoping that their song would be Bobby Vinton's Over and Over. I mean, this is the song that played perfectly in the trailers. Now, if this was their song... And it played in the closing moments of the final episode as Jake and Sadie dance for the last time. It would be incredible. Guys, just listen to the song. Um, all you have to do is just go out on YouTube. But listen to the song, you know, especially as it starts to build towards the end. If it ended with that sweeping crescendo at a smash cut to black, boom, it would do its job. And just when things are going well between the two of them, the conflict of the story... Jake's choice between Sadie and JFK rears itself as Jake has to excuse himself to go bug Oswald's apartment. Um, so that happens. Um, and back in Jody, Jake is in the doghouse with Sadie, who's disappointed and having been left behind. 
which works both in the moment for these characters as well as for the foreshadowing aspect of it. Because, after all, Sadie's going to be left behind by Jake later as well. Meanwhile, the mission is compromised by the intrusion of the homophobe Raphael, who knocks out Turcotte and steals their equipment. They pick up the pieces, but the more important thing here is the growing romance between Jake and Sadie. They share a tender moment, a soft kiss, a promise of a date. The vulnerability, the kindness, the adoration between the two is tangible. So, I'm going to say this. I had issues with the first episode, but I have not had any issues since. The show's not breaking new ground, but it is doing its job. It's a good-looking, well-structured television show with a great production value and a lot of heart. So far, I'd say that Hulu's 112263 is pretty successful. Oh, and I haven't even talked about Daniel Weber as Oswald. This is the first time he's been able to uh, be allowed to shine, and he bursts right out of the stall. Now, I, I don't know how historically accurate his speech is or how his actions against Walker are, but Weber plays him like a dangerous rabid animal who can just lash out at anyone, and it's very, very effective, guys. I'm completely into this performance, and I'm really looking forward to see what the actor has in store moving forward. So, guys, um, up next is just Easter eggs. The only one I could see was spiders. Um, when snooping on Oswald, Jake and Bill are overrun by spiders. Um, and as you know, spiders play a pretty significant role in the Stephen King universe, so I just wonder if that was kind of a, a shout-out there. So, guys, I'm sorry. I mean, it's not a very long review, um, but I just want to get my thoughts out there. Um, so... I'm going to finish up recording. I'm going to put it up um, online in just a few moments. And hopefully uh, you won't have to wait as long for my review of episode four, which, like I said, is available right now. Um, so I, I hope you guys are enjoying my reviews of 112263. And if you have not done so already, uh, head on over to iTunes, leave a review for Stephen Kingcast. Um, and if you want to share some thoughts on 112263 or, or anything uh, related to Stephen King, write to me at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. And guys, like I said at the top of the episode, if you want... Uh, if you're all caught up on your reading of Stephen King and you want to read uh, an up-and-coming young author, then uh, check out the works by Cooper O'Connor um, in the pages of Dark Moon Digest and Wax and Wayne, A Gathering of Witch Tales, Nine, Tolls, Nine Tales Told in the Dark, Issue Number 9, and the forthcoming Trysts of Fate magazine. I have a feeling that you guys will like the stories that are included in there. Uh, so everyone, uh, next episode, I will be reviewing 112263 episode four and who knows, maybe there will be some more dark tower news. You know, I can keep my fingers crossed. Um, but I'll definitely share some more emails and some more iTunes reviews and I will continue to shamelessly plug my short stories. So everyone, um, thanks for coming and may you have long days and pleasant nights and i will see you here next episode where m-o-o-n spells stephen king cast